0: Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Today we're marking the solemnity of the chair of St. Peter. Patronal feast for our ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter. Otherwise, it's... Quinquagesima, getting us in range of 50 days of Easter and the last Sunday before we begin the season of Lent. We're also marking in our Mass today the the sacrament of Holy Baptism because I'm thinking of the little one and of that way of humility and Christ's call to come as little children. It has some effect on how I think about the chair of St. Peter on this day. The first thing that strikes me is that even though we're talking about in earthly terms that that focus of the authority in the church, that we talk about a chair. And a chair seems like rather a, a small and humble thing, a rather ordinary thing of itself. may be appropriate when we're celebrating the church of Jesus the carpenter out of Nazareth. But a chair, a, a simple thing, a humble thing. Now you might say to me, well, you might want to think about a cathedral though and how the, over the cathedral of the bishop, the chair of the bishop, the cathedrals grow and sometimes the, ch- the chairs are quite ornate. And you might want to think about a throne on earth and where one is established in that way so you could think of a high and lofty seat. And yet, properly speaking, we're not talking about the world, and we're not talking about worldly authorities. We're not talking about those who are lifted up over people to impose their will upon them. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the way of Jesus. We're talking about the power that lays down its life in order to raise up that the focus of the power in the kingdom is not to impose one's will upon others, but to raise up and enable others to do God's will, to do the Father's will. And even that whole business of thinking about a throne, even if we're not thinking about specifically the kingdom of God, the idea of a royal throne is always that it's a sign of the ruler's presence in the kingdom. That even if a throne is set up in a palace, and you think about the palace being a little bit more removed from the people, it's yet within the kingdom. Because the ruler is from within and rules within the kingdom. But also, the throne is not the easy chair of the king or queen. It's actually the chair of office. It's a sign of that particular office into which that person is set. And it's a sign of the accessibility of the same. If you're looking for the king, if you have a petition to bring to the king, if you have a complaint to bring, well, you come to the throne. In some ways, it's a sign of openness, of presence with the people, which seems quite appropriate when we're talking about the office of the one who's appointed as a chief shepherd over the people, over the flock. I think as well in all of that that when we picture a throne that is set in the midst of the people, we're also reminded that this is one that is set under a higher authority to rule within the people, but it's an office that is set up by the one who is over every king, every ruler in this world. We'd reflected at the time of the passing of Elizabeth II, our late queen, that she was one with a very powerful sense of having a trust given to her, being given privilege and power, but to a particular end. It wasn't to exalt herself, it was to serve the people who were entrusted to her. And when we think about the chair of St. Peter, we are to think about that entrusted authority that which is given for a particular end, that the one who is set on that chair is set there as a steward. I mean, properly, every king, every queen in this world is to be understood as a steward of the one from whom all authority comes, but most particularly in the church, the one who takes up that office not on his own authority, but the authority of the one who has called him, who has appointed him, who has anointed him, who enables him. And that first lesson that we had today is one of those scriptural foundations of that role within the kingdom, within an earthly kingdom, a, a steward, a kind of prime minister who is set in place. Now we're in the kingdom of David, in the kingdom of Judah, and following what had been the state throughout the days since David's rule but one to whom is given the keys of the kingdom, to have that authority within. It's not his authority, it's the, the sovereign authority of the king. But it's entrusted to him that he might be that steward and carry it out. I think about the chair, I think about sitting. Another thought that, that comes to mind is that it's got to do with the teaching office. As well, we don't always think about sitting when we think about teaching. But I had said last year that when I was working on the children's talk, I got to thinking about, well, how often do we see Jesus sitting? And strangely, it does line up with him setting up to teach. He comes into the synagogue. He stands up to read. But then he sits down and begins to open up the Word of God to them. He gets into Simon Peter's boat and pushes off from shore and he sits down and begins to teach the crowds. He goes up onto the mountain. He sits down and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach. It's a rabbinic posture. It's one that invites really some of the discussion, but invites one to listen, to ponder, to spend time together. I've been in the seminar setting where that one works a little better. But it is something that goes with the office of the chair of St. Peter is that teaching. But it's the teaching of the gospel. Something we do well to remind ourselves of sometimes, and some of our leadership does well to remind itself of, that the teaching office of the chair is not that of innovation. It's that of passing on what's been received. It's the trust again, it's the steward who, having received these gifts from God, offers them to the body, the building up of the body, the articulation, perhaps in new and fresh ways of the ancient truth, but always with the sense of the trust that is to be passed on, an honoring of the Word of God. But a third thought that comes as I think about the chair And I think about sitting and I think about seats and I think about little children, but particularly now the infant Christ himself. One of the titles that we have for the Blessed Virgin Mary is Seat of Wisdom, which I confess when I first heard the term, I misunderstood. And for a while I looked for information on Mary as seed of wisdom, like the seeds you plant in the ground. And strangely, I couldn't find anything I was a little frustrated and then realized it was seat. One upon whom the Lord is seated. Well, we have our figure of Our Lady of Walsingham over here. And it's a classic presentation of the Lord not simply being gathered into his mother's arms, but being set upon her lap as the seat from which he blesses, from which he shares the divine wisdom She is seed of wisdom not because of her own personal Solomonic wisdom that she possesses, but because she is the one upon whom is seated He who is the power and wisdom of God. We come back time and again to the things of of Mary and that understanding that everything we say of Mary, any devotion directed towards her, is bound up with who Jesus is. That most astonishing of titles that was set out by the earliest centuries of the church of calling her Theotokos, Mother of God, which seems an audacious title to bestow upon a human mother, and yet was the clear declaration of the church that this one she carries in her womb, this one to whom she gives birth, is from his conception fully God as well as fully man. Again, to think about Mary as seat of wisdom, we think about the one who holds the precious treasure, who exposes that one to the world, who lifts him up, who holds him up, not her wisdom but his. In one sense, he is seated upon her, but in another sense, she is founded upon him that all she does comes back to that same point of being the one who knows first she is his own, redeemed by his precious blood, made by his grace, the mother of the Lord and Savior of all the human race. When we think about Simon Peter, when we think about the role to which he was called, there's no language in our Gospel today of a chair, and yet we do hear about the one who will be foundational. The stone upon which Christ intends to build His church. We do know that in the final picture of the heavenly city that we have the apostles set out in the foundations of the the holy city. Simon Peter to be the first of those, but Christ is the cornerstone. And even as Jesus builds upon Simon Peter... Simon Peter is laid upon the foundation which is Christ. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. I've said before that we often misunderstand those words. Jesus isn't saying to him, Well done, Simon, you got the right answer. The others should have gotten there, but you're the one who made the connections. Jesus is saying you are blessed because you've received this gift from God. You've been shown what you couldn't know by your own wisdom alone, but is the gift of God. Same as when Mary is greeted with those words, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. The blessing is of God, the gift is of God, she's the one who receives. I mentioned before that Simon His name Simeon, in the Hebrew, is Shimon. It's derived from Shama, the verb to hear, and he is the one who attends to the Lord, who hears that that word that is the gift of God. Jesus declares then that he is the one on whom that church will be built. He is that that keystone. He is the one that will be the and I'm thinking keystone, I'm thinking of in the arch, not the cornerstone on which the whole is laid, but the one on whom the church will be built, but the one who is to be the steward within that kingdom, as he attends to the Lord, he is as that rock, because he set upon Jesus himself. We know if we follow on in that Gospel today, that a few moments later as Jesus begins to talk about what it means for him to be the Christ, what is the way that all of his own must follow, that Simon rebukes him, tells him it's not the way that he's to go. And we might hear, if we go back further, we might hear the very words of the Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness trying to dissuade Him from the way of the cross. You don't need to go that way. I can give you the kingdoms now if you just do it My way. Don't do it the Father's way. Don't do it God's way. Don't go the way of the cross, but just receive it from My hand. Echoed in the words of Peter, the dissuading of Jesus from the way of the cross earns the rebuke of get behind Me, Satan. Now you're not standing on the foundation of the Gospel. Now you're not the one who attends to the things of God. Now you're listening to the world. Now you're not the rock on which I'm building. Now you're the stone that sinks under the waves. Some have argued that Jesus is promising to build on Peter's confession, not on Simon Peter himself, which isn't really a faithful reading of the passage itself. The most natural way of reading the grammar is that Jesus is speaking of Simon. If you want a little confirmation of that, you might go to John 1 and recognize that the first time Jesus encounters Simon and Simon Jesus, the Lord looks up and says, Ah, you're Simon, son of John or son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Petros, Peter. Cephas being the, the Aramaic of the same. He doesn't have a confession then. He doesn't. Jesus doesn't tell him anything of what it means, but that's the name that Jesus has because he knows him. He knows not just Peter in his strength. He knows Peter in his weakness. He knows him in his failure as well as in the redemption that will come of the Lord's love. He knows that when it really counts, He will be that foundation. He will be the one who can rally the others. Of course, we never look at Peter's confession without going back a few chapters and remembering that time when Jesus came to His disciples in the midst of the storm in the night, walking on the water. And in their fear, they cried out, but Simon said, Lord, if it is You, call me to come to you and jesus said come and simon peter were reminded with his eyes fixed on jesus walked on water stepped out to go to the lord when he became aware of the wind and the waves and let his guy his gaze drift from his lord he did sink like a stone under those waves called out to the lord who raised him up the seat the chair of Saint Peter. The rock when it's on that rock of Christ, flimsy when it gets off of him, but the Lord has called him and he knows what he's capable of. And his promise to his church is that it will not fall. That the rock of Christ is underneath, that that Peter, however much he may waver at moments, is yet founded upon that rock and is the one on whom Christ has built and continues to build. St. Peter's chair is not to be a throne set up above the people so much as that which bears Christ in their midst, teaching what's been received, drawing others to Him. In fact, ultimately, the chair of Peter is not to be so much Peter's throne, but Christ's to be the throne of Jesus Christ, His throne in our midst to which we come. That of the Great Shepherd who comes to be in the midst of His sheep, to call us into new life in Him, through His death, through His passion, through His resurrection. And so to the chair of St. Peter, to that visible sign of our Lord's authority here on earth, we bring this little child to be baptized this day, that she might come to meet Jesus, to know Him as Savior, Lord, and Friend, that she might grow up to follow Him through life and death and to remain His faithful soldier and servant unto her life's end in the full communion of the Catholic Church in the fellowship of all Christ's saints. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it.